What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hey, hey, everybody out there in Electric Liberty Land. How's your state doing? How's your state of the union? How's it holding up? How are things? Are you getting around well? How's your mother? Hopefully well. This is Brian McWilliams. This is Electric Liberty Land, and this is episode number 110, meaning you can find all the show notes for today's episode at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL110. And this show is going to be a little odd format-wise because I have a special guest coming in that I'm going to introduce in just a moment, uh, who I'm very excited to have on here. She's an activist uh, from Venezuela that is working her butt off to try to make things better there, fighting for liberty, fighting for freedom, fighting for individual rights. And uh, you're going to hear from her in just a minute. But I wanted to tell you, we're also going to be doing a little bit of the State of the Union recap here because it happens to be tonight. And uh, I don't know if I knew it was going to be on the 5th or not, but I think Trump dropped it on me. Anyway, so I did listen to that. And uh, I can't say I listened to the entire thing because I listened to about an hour and 25 minutes of it and then said, I got to stop. I got to record this podcast and then I got to edit the goddamn thing. So (laughs) it's going to be a little bit of a split show. So I'm going to have Gigi Raffo in here, who is the uh, aforementioned Venezuelan activist. And then I'll do my little State of the Union breakdown after we go through our little commercial break. But before that, I got to share with you the newest project that I'm involved with. This is only for Patreon supporters of our show, of uh, the System is Down podcast, and of Remzo Martinez program. So I'll just leave it at this intro, and uh, I was going to cut in a clip from the show, but there's just way too much for me to get through. So in the meantime, get excited. Deep within a bleak and dismal swamp. Hidden beneath its murky waters lies the headquarters of the most sinister liberty villains of all time, the Legion of Liberty Doom. We have gathered together the five most ruthless liberty villains on Earth. Brian McWilliams, Dan Smuts, Howard Snowden, Renzo Martinez, and John Odermatt. Together they are the Legion of Liberty Doom. So anyway, we just recorded our first episode this past weekend. That is up. You can join as little as $5 a month and get all sorts of bonus content. Not only the Legion of Liberty Doom, but also uh, the League of Liberty, our nemesis, which of course has Mark Claire on it with uh, Johnny Adams, Roger Paxton, and Chris Spangle. But also all the extra LALDLs that we do, all of the conspiracy corners, degenerate gamblers, all that good stuff. Okay. Anyway. Let's get into the show proper. All right, everybody, welcome to Electric Liberty Land. As mentioned at the uh, the very top of the show, 
I do have a special guest with me today, and uh, she was actually referred to me by a prior guest on the show, the one and only Fergus Hodgson, who was a, a mutual friend of ours. And of course, Fergus is the editor and founder of the Antigua Report, which is a great read and also a writer for the Epoch Times. So check him out. But he introduced me to, uh, to a woman who I think is going to be a really interesting guest to talk about the situation in Venezuela. She is a, uh, a marketing specialist here in the United States right now and lives in D.C., however, is originally from Venezuela and works with an organization which is a free market think tank in Latin America called CEDICE. Uh, and that stands for the Center for Disclosure of Economic Knowledge. And that is Venezuela-based. So without further ado, I want to welcome in the guest today, Ms. Gigi Raffo. Uh, Gigi, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you for having me. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, by the way, how do you and Fergus know each other? Obviously, he, he likes you enough to recommend that you come on the podcast. <laughs> so uh, what's a brief background of how you two interacted? Oh, we have been friends for a long time. Uh, the first time we met in a conference, a libertarian conference in New York, but they actually came to Venezuela. He actually came to Venezuela one time mm. and he was in Caracas with me and I was trying to you know, explain him like all the horrible things that we have to go through by that time. So yeah, we are very close. All right. Well, tell me and my audience a little bit more about that background. So you, I think you've been in Washington, D.C. for, is it four years now? Yeah, well, right now I'm. I just moved back. I was like oh, in okay. Europe for a, a little while. You know, like Venezuelans are kind of like nomads at this point. Like we cannot go back. Some of us cannot go back um, yeah. for the nature of a work. So we live where like the work is. So yeah. I spent like a few years in Europe, like one year and a half in Europe, and then I go. I'm back here in the U.S. working. Um, but I left Venezuela in early 2016. Okay. Yeah. So what was the situation? Tell me a little bit about how it was, you know, then and now, because I'm sure, you know, with the organization that you're working with, uh, and I'm sure you're in contact with a lot of family, friends, and coworkers in that organization. So, you know, when you left, what was the situation like, and how has that progressed to where it is today? Right. So I took the decision to leave Venezuela because it was like, not leaving anymore. As I say, Um, when you basically just like think, how you're going to find medicines for your family or how are you going to find like the food and even has this like random strategies or of the supermarkets that you have to go, the grocery shopping that you have to do, like creating this fake IDs to be able to buy food in different grocery stores. Oh, wow. Um, can, yeah, can, it's I'm, like, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that's, that's hey, that just that topic alone is fascinating. So you had, why do you have to create IDs for different grocery right. stores? Just because, because there were limits on how much you could buy? Exactly. It's like it just, just like it works just like Cuba. So basically, you just can buy certain foods in a specific day of a week. So you have an ID, right? Your national ID, and that ID has a number at the end that that like will determine which day of the week you can buy. For example, in my case, it was Wednesdays. Mm. Um, so let's say that in Sunday I need to buy something or Monday I have to buy something. What my family and I did is having these IDs of, the, of different other people, like my cousins or my grandma or things like that. And then we can actually go to the grocery store and buy food those days. Mm. So it's not like you go to Safeway and right. you buy anything you need. No, it's just like you have to wait your day mm. and you can only buy a specific amounts, like two chickens, two yeah. rice. So it's like, it was like very horrible. Not a lot of um, Super Bowl so, partying going on in Venezuela. I guess. 
there's no way, no. <laughs> and the people who do that obviously works with the government, so they have access to like all those foods and, yeah. and medicines and everything. You know, well, it's like well, you know, I mean, <laughs> talking about that aspect of things too. So uh, clearly, the corruption is very, uh, very embedded in Venezuela at the moment. And I saw that you know the the restrictions they're placing on. Even I think the water infrastructure uh, in current day Venezuela, you know, the military is controlling even the basic water supply. Right. Everything. Everything is corrupt in this government. So the most basic things that you can imagine in Venezuela is just a black market. Like mm-hmm. to find like gas, to find water, to find gasoline, medicines. Everything is a black market. And it specifically was created by the government when they implemented all these policies and controls and completely destroy the production, the national production of many of those things. So now the least things that they they we already have now is like controlled by them, sell by them. So there's no way that us as normal citizens can ha- can have access to that without paying like crazy amount of money in the black market. Yeah, well, and I was going to ask about that too because of the inflation rate of the uh, the local currency. Was it even using money anymore in the black market, or is it using American dollars, or is it more a trade based economy? Yeah, that's like like crazy. Imagine like a black mirror episode of like you don't own your you don't own money, so you have to do all these crazy things to get like foods and services. So mm-hmm. what Venezuelans are doing right now is a lot of trade. Uh, let's say I have a, a package of rice and you have a, a milk. So let's just trade that because, you know, I have a baby and mm. my baby needs milk. Or I have some kind of medicines that you need. There's a lot of like community-based, social media-based like sharing. So you see these like WhatsApp groups, Twitter groups, everyone like saying, hey, I know where like they are selling like this type of medicine or like I have this. So it's, it creates this like, crazy trading system uh because one like the goods are not available and two if they're available you are not you don't might not have enough money to buy them Mm. um so that is like really really present in every single day of every venezuelan like here we are not talking like oh this is only like poor people struggling this is like middle class people like people who work that actually have to live this like horrible like life Okay, so that's very interesting. Now, the next thing I wanted to talk a little bit about is I wanted to see uh, what your, you know, what what is your impression of the amount of actual support Maduro has because you know it he won the election is what he keeps continuously saying that that his opponent uh, you know didn't didn't win has no no authentic claim to being president. But I'm curious how much support does Maduro actually have? Is there any from the actual populace who have gone through these hard times or is it basically just uh, an invention of, you know, the military case he's, uh, he's invented and his supporters that are seeing a direct benefit? Right. Yeah. If you're like right now in Venezuela, you will be under- answering this question in like 10 minutes, which is like he has no support for the the population for normal citizens anymore. Um, so basically, what happened with Maduro's government is they have a lot of money from a lot of like shady businesses they were doing um, with not only the oil companies but other businesses that there's not a secret that they do like uh, they're like a drug big company like as the narco state. So uh, and with that money, 
what he used to do is like buy a lot of like government officials or a lot of like army people and obviously create all this narrative that he has like millions and millions of people that support him. But if you go to the streets in Venezuela and you go like to a normal grocery store or a pharmacy, you will see and feel the hate and the resentment that is in the streets because people cannot live their life that they're used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously they are struggling 24-7 to find basic goods or you know, to, to make three meals a day. Um, so last elections, the ones that he say that he claimed that he won had like a 60% of like people that didn't vote. Mm-hmm. So imagine that. And the other 40% that he say that he got it, like many of those people were like 5 million people that he said uh, that support him. Let's say most of those are like, other people from other nationalities with like Venezuelan's ID, even mm-hmm. people that they are like dead in the in the electoral system that suddenly you see these cases in social media of people saying, well, like in the electoral college like website, say that my grandfather voted for Maduro and he died like five years ago. So how that's possible. Right. Yeah. So yeah. all these things like doesn't make any sense. And that's why like this year Guaido use the and put it in implementation the their the article in, in our constitution that says specifically that if the current president is not legitimate, obviously we can move forward and put the president of the National Assembly as the one ruling the country. Mm-hmm. While there's like free elections and you know you can ensure that nothing is going to happen like with Maduro. Now, let me ask you that just in regards to the Constitution of Venezuela, you know, I saw that he's got almost all of the Supreme Court justices on his right. on his side and on his payroll. So is it even I mean, does the Constitution at this point, is it basically completely irrelevant because he's got all the people that could basically change it at a whim? Right. Obviously, for like the Supreme Court, like he picked like himself and they are like, as you say, in their payroll. But in this case, the National Assembly is mostly opposition. Mm-hmm. So that's the one that actually make pressure to follow the constitution and then start doing instead trying to do things to recover our democratic values that we lost with Maduro all these years. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me a little bit more about uh, Guaido, because I, uh, is it something where are people supporting him simply because he's not Maduro, or is it something where he actually has captured something that people believe in in Venezuela? Right. Actually, he has a lot of people that believe in him as a new hope, new sort of hope, like he represents a youth leadership, like a new movement that wants to rescue our democratic values. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you see, he is surrounding with people that know a lot about like topics as foreign policy, economics, education. So you see he's he's a young guy, but he's very smart of like the moves that he's taking and it's not like the old, like, crony politician that you used to see. Yeah. And then obviously you will say, oh, my God, this is not going to work. But it's completely the opposite because somehow he represents, like, a new beginning. Hmm. And, okay, so in regards to getting him into power, uh, this is where I, I'm, I'm very curious to see if people in Venezuela are actively rooting for the United States to get involved, and if it becomes a military issue, if there's if that's something where they say, yes, we want the United States here. And, and, you know, full disclosure, I would not be a fan of that because I just don't want to, I don't want the United States to get involved in any more civil wars. 
But right. from a Venezuelan perspective, is that something that they're rooting for? Or do they look to, to places like Syria or look to other nations where the United States has gotten involved and how badly those things have turned out? And are, are people more wary? Right. Well, the, the first thing, like, like we have to understand, this is like a completely different case that is not going to escalate as like a completely like Syrian case because right. it's not like it's not like the same like problem. It's not the same. It's not a religious problem. It's not a racial problem. This is like a dictator mm-hmm. that is basically with like no right to stay in our country and with the, like violating violating all the all rules, our constitution, and without not even international support, is staying in our country. Mm-hmm. So. Besides that, what people in Venezuela actually want from the United States, like mostly is the humanitarian aid. Mm. Like there's no food and medicines in Venezuela, like none. So with the involvement of the United States in all this, it can create a channel to actually the food and the medicine start entering for or borders like Colombia or Brazil and people start like getting help. So you see, like, normal citizens in the street actually wanting that, like, wanting to be helped. Because at this point, like, just waiting for a dialogue with a dictator, as we have been doing for the last 20 years, mm-hmm. is not realistic anymore. Yeah. No, that's that's true. Um, well, tell me a little bit more, now that we, we've, we've hit a lot of the different issues, tell me a little bit about some of the projects that the organization that you work with back in Venezuela has undertaken. And I know we don't, we don't want to talk too much about them uh, for, right. for concerns about their safety and, you know, and, and having the government get involved because as we know, Venezuelan government under Maduro is not hesitant to, uh, to put people in jail for uh, far lesser uh, infringements upon his presidential right. uh, and anonymity. But, uh, but yeah, let me know a little bit more about some of the work that you've been doing. Yeah. So basically this, tank is like very influential in Venezuela and Latin America and basically what we do is a lot of like social media and advocacy campaigns because you have to you have to know that 80% of the media was controlled by Maduro right so people actually don't know what happened like people go to the supermarkets and they they know like inflation is hitting them very hard but they don't know why mm-hmm. or actually like you know Central bank, central bank say that it's only 20% of inflation when you know you go to the street and the price is higher than three hours ago. And what is, I mean, what is the Maduro government, what is, what is the propaganda that they're pushing out in these newspapers? What is, is he blaming capitalism in the United States? Like what is right. it, what, is that basically the excuse that he gives for the inflation and the, and the hard times that Venezuelans have fallen upon? So you have to just like open one like government newspaper. That's like North Korea level. They mm. just like say, oh my God, Venezuela has a higher um, minimum wage in Latin America. Or mm. Venezuela has like zero hunger. Like we received this award. I, I, like do, I do, I got to give him credit. I have to give him credit <laughs> for the spin though in regards to the minimum right. wage. It's like, well, our minimum wage is a million, you know? It's like, like right. the currency exactly. worth nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, talk yeah, about it. Good, good like, job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then people say, oh my God, yes, we are wins. We're, we're earning all, all this money and then yeah. you go to the supermarket and that chicken's like 10 million right, yeah. Yeah. and that's like or like we, we they're used to do like this thing when they have to take zeros from the currency uh, to devaluate the currency and they say oh look like now one Bolivar is going to be the same but one dollar like mm. and people 
believe that because it's the only thing that is in the media and the newspapers and the radio. Yeah. So it's a few, it's a, a few media that I can actually say what is happening. So what this organization do is like creating all these advocacy campaigns, it's huge in social media, go like in the streets, doing events, so trying to explain to people in a very simple way, mm-hmm. all this economic crisis and this social crisis. Um, what what these organizations do is basically, you know, like nobody's going to read a report of like what is, or GDP or like, or how many barrels of oil, like PDVSA sales and blah, blah, blah. So we try to put in a really simple language, like how like inflation affects your family or how you can actually do something about like the medical and the healthcare crisis and things like that. Uh, so it has been really interesting working from the outside, but it, because actually I can connect them with organizations and resources and different influencers that want to help the cause of freedom in in Venezuela. Hmm. That's, and is there any sort of crackdown that you've seen from the government in regards to social media? You know, obviously in China you see a lot of that kind of thing happening. And um, is there is it pretty much a free and open internet, or does has the government taken steps to censor some websites or try to squash any social media right. like the kind of work that you're doing? Yeah, well, that's very interesting because like the telecommunication company in Venezuela, one of the most um, famous ones is a is a government owned uh, company. Mm. So you can see sometimes when all this white thing was happening, like people like the government don't want like people interacting with social media and create all these narratives. So like Twitter and Instagram and all these platforms started like failing and being blocked. Mm. And it's very common like websites as the one that says like the real price of the dollar or black market price of the dollar are being blocked. So people have to use BPM and all this crazy stuff to access oh, wow. to these pages. In our case, um, actually it's a lot of like having hosts and servers like outside Venezuela that helps mm-hmm. a lot and having like these sec- crazy security things using encrypted emails and all this. Wow. And it's just, it's just so fascinating to see. I mean, we do take, you know, living in the United States, we do take a lot of things for granted and grant, you know, and while I push back against uh, the government oversight and, and the spying and all this other stuff that the government that's into here, it's just, it's just amazing to hear the lengths that other governments go to in regards to protect these, these dictatorships and the power that they have right. uh, continuously. So, right. Yeah. It's and really interesting. It's very, it's very interesting because you see how like, um, social media has helped us a lot to create a community of opposition, opposition coalition in social media. Mm-hmm. So like like riots, marches, and things like that, like you cannot put it in the newspaper or never in your life you can put it in the TV. But like people get the word in WhatsApp um, things, in mm-hmm. Telegram, in Twitter, and you see like millions and millions of people in the street because of social media. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's a, that's a great tool that we're using right now. Yeah, and I saw that just recently there was uh, millions and millions of people marching to oppose Maduro, which I mm-hmm. fa- was fantastic. And I wonder though, you know, if they're blocking Facebook. I know Facebook's going to buy WhatsApp, so uh, hopefully that doesn't <laughs> kill that platform for you guys if they block Facebook. Right. I hope not, but no, <laughs> it has been just slow. Like mm-hmm. imagine like the. Ho- the most horrible internet is back home mm-hmm. uh, so it's really slow people get really frustrated but people find ways you know like one of the things that i always say about like venezuelans is like we always find ways to create these 
alternative realities, like to overcome all these oppressions from the government. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Let me. I'll, I'll wrap it up on this because uh, we, yeah, we, we behind the curtain for our listeners. We had to take a break uh, because it was mm-hmm. my fault, and I'd come back. So I don't want to take up too much of your time because it's getting late on the, on the East Coast time. But um, if you had to, um, two things. Number one, I want you to tell people where they can find more information about you. Uh, you know, if you've got a, a Twitter or or the organization, if you want to, you know, where people can support the work that you're doing or interact with you. I'd love you to share that. And then also on a, on a secondary note and kind of a, to wrap this up is what your thoughts are seeing what's happening in the United States, seeing this push for democratic socialism, as they call it, which is what, you know, Maduro would call his as well. And what your impressions of what's happening here are compared to Venezuela. And uh, if people here need to wake up and take a lesson, or if you think that it's something different that's happening here. Yeah, well, I will start with the second because I'm living here in the U.S. now. And for me, it's like very concerning uh, listening a lot of politicians um, now like saying that, oh, this is like the new era of socialism or, mm-hmm. oh, socialism was never implemented or <laughs> right. it was implemented in a wrong way. Like they have to wake up and understand that's not never going to work. Never. And as somebody that lives 24 years, in a country like Venezuela, the least that I want is that Americans have to live where I have to live. Mm-hmm. So it's not a joke. It's not like, oh, like, we just want, like, a more progressive society. It's not like that. Like, socialism started, like, selling to the masses as a pretty cool thing where everyone is going to have, like, a piece of the cake, like, mm-hmm. free healthcare, free housing, free everything. And then you start realizing how they just suppress your freedom and all your civil and human rights. Yeah. And, 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 and you've seen that. There. Yeah. Yeah. And I say, yeah. I mean, during the, the, the course of your life, I'm, I'm sure you saw the, you know, the, the way people are living, you know, as soon as socialism started to really take in and it always, it right. always starts well, you know, while, while they've got the money from capitalism there and then quickly goes downhill. And you saw that firsthand. Yeah. And as a simple example, I can say like Chavez, like flag was, oh my God, you are going to have like your own house completely free. The government is going to give you your own house. Wow. And a lot of people was, yeah, like amazing. <laughs> Let's vote for this guy. And then like 10 years later, what that actually meant is that private property was completely banned in Venezuela. So you don't own anything. The government owns everything that you have and you have worked for. And then they can just come and say, oh, you have two houses. Actually, I will take this one because other people need it yeah. or, or you have two, two cars. You don't need two cars. Like, let me take one and then we give it to somebody else. So it's like stealing your property. So yeah. you can see how actually it was like a lie since the beginning, but we, we love like all this like narrative of like free things and then and everything is going to be great. And I have to tell you since now it's not going to end well. So yeah. please don't do it. Agree <laughs> don't completely. <laughs> Please right, don't well, let me just say, <laughs> if, I mean, if they take power, I have to go from the United States. I'm not going to stay and see the second part of the movie. That will be really horrible. <laughs> and the second uh, thing that you asked me about how they can find more about this organization, mm-hmm. uh, you can go online and type sedice.org.be. Uh, and basically, you will find a lot of content, a lot of papers, activities, social media campaigns, videos. Um, which explain a lot of like the situation and how you can help uh, 
from different uh, parts of the world or different like with different resources and ideas and and actually spreading the word like the people in Venezuela are not crazy are not like a super dangerous right wing <laughs> activist or they're just normal people wanting freedom and I think if you support this organization and the work the activists and human rights activists are doing um, that will be amazing for us. Yeah. And I'll link to this in the show notes as well when I post the episode. Uh, so there'll be links to that you guys can find. And you got to love any organization that's got a, uh, a Hayek quote on the homepage. The only way right. to change the course <laughs> of society will be changing ideas. <laughs> that's true. Gotta love it. All right. Well, you know, Gigi, this has been fantastic having you on. And, um, and I hope you'll be uh, if, seeing how, how, how things play out, maybe in, uh, in popping on another time for another 10 or 15 minutes, just to give us an update, maybe in a, you know, in a few weeks or a month, we'll see what occurs. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Will. Let's hope for the best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seriously. So, okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, again, guys, you will be able to find uh, Gigi Raffo. You can uh, connect with her on this uh, again through CDC dot org dot ve and uh, i will link to that or uh do you have a a twitter handle that people might be able to at you at or follow you on uh, on social media right it's like my actual name <laughs> that's okay <laughs> in venezuela you have to have two names because you want the government to find out when you do papers and stuff like that uh, my yeah. actual name is janina rafo at like at janina rafo in twitter Okay, fantastic. And I will also link to that in the show notes as well, just so people don't have to worry about spelling it. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> yes, pretty complicated. Writing it down on their hand as they listen to the podcast. <laughs> right, awesome. JD, thank you so thank much. Thank you, Brian. And I'll talk to you soon. Awesome. All right, now let's take a little break and we'll be right back with more Electric Liberty Land in just a minute. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jiu-jitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show. All right, we are back with more Electric Liberty Land, episode number 110. Of course, again, the show notes, lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL 110. And you can find uh, Gigi's Twitter handle there if you want to follow her on social media. You can find a link to sidisi.org, uh, Sidisi Libertad. Uh, you can so go and support the work that they're doing in Venezuela. That was just, and really, I loved having her on, and uh, I am going to try to keep in touch with her to to find out some more about what's happening in Venezuela. So she's got such great contacts there as things move forward. But now that we're back, I want to talk about the State of the Union a little bit, uh, give my quick thoughts in response to Trump's talks tonight. But before I do that, a couple things that I do want to go into. Uh, number one is Cuomo. And this horrible bill in New York State, which essentially is allowing 
abortions to go all the way through to the end of the term, you know, right up to birth. And it was touted as this wonderful, fantastic thing by progressives, uh, by women's rights activists, by everything else. They even turned the, what was it? The, uh, not the Statue of Liberty, but some, what, uh, the Empire State Building pink? As though murdering children is some wonderful thing to be, uh, to be touted. And, you know, I've said this on the show before. I am not someone who is uh, pro-life. I mean, I'm pro-living. And, uh, but I do believe in a woman's right to choose up until a certain point. And I believe with every fiber of my being that there is a def- you know, difference where it's a clump of cells, but that does become a life at some point. And, uh, and I believe that that anything in the third term or the third trimester is probably crossing that line. Um, aborting a baby that is essentially capable of living outside the womb on its own has been proven time and time again, as we see with premature babies that have, uh, have lived and gone on to be completely fully functioning adults, healthy, contributing members of our society that were coming out, you know, two and a half, three months early. Um, you know, there have been preemies that were that early that lived and were incubated and were able to go on and, and live full healthy lives to have this sort of legislation pushed through is uh, absolutely abhorrent. And to see these people celebrating it as though it's some fantastic victory for women's rights is also absolutely abhorrent. Um, I, I think that this is something that's really going to come back to haunt Democrats, to be honest. I think that it's something where if you look at polling that's been done most people actually oppose pretty strongly abortions in the third trimester. And most people view anything that actually comes out that is created, that looks, uh, makes sounds, breathes, has a heartbeat, has uh, a mental activity. It's a baby. And despite what these insane people on the ultra left might feel about murdering a child and scooping its brains out as it's being born, uh, the majority of thinking, feeling individuals within our country or virtually anywhere on this earth are in strong opposition to that. And I think this is going to be something that, like we'll see with, if you got Kamala Harris or Warren or whoever's running out there that that retweeted or, or gave kudos to this kind of legislation is going to be strongly rebutted by people, not only from the right, but from virtually every walk of life. Ah, and that, of course, leads us into talking about the Virginia governor, uh, Ralph Northam, who had also wanted to push forward a bill which has been defeated in Virginia, which would have allowed the same thing. Uh, basically, it, to the point where you could even have the baby and still murder the baby. Uh, that was rejected. But, you know, in somewhat of a uh, comedic comeuppance, we see Northam, or as he's otherwise known, Coon Man, uh, which is his nickname in medical school, which I, I don't know what medical school. I mean, I know this was 35, 40 years in the past now, but we're just publishing Coon Man in medical school yearbooks. That's a that's an appropriate moniker for people back in the days. I mean, <laughs> I know people hate Ben Carson because he's aligned with Trump, but, you know, I don't, I, Ben Carson, one of the first black guys or the first black guy to do open heart surgery. I don't know if Coon Man would have been one of his favorite things to see in a medical uh, yearbook. People graduating in a, in a field that's uh, aligned with his. But the funny thing about this is Northam's and all these people, first they come out and they're saying, oh, well, this is just, I can't, shameful opposition research. Like blaming, blaming the people that found the photo 
as if this is anything anything more nefarious in any way than what Hillary Clinton's done, what all these other people did, publishing documents that were sourced and funded by foreign entities that the media then ran with. And we see, speaking of media's dishonesty, CNN, when they're running the story about Northam and being in blackface, you know, I, I forgot I even set up the story because I figure everybody knows it by now. Long story short, Northam, picture in the yearbook in medical school of him in complete blackface. Now, he says that wasn't him, despite the fact that our own Howie Snowden did some sleuthing and found a picture of Northam in the exact same trousers that he is wearing in the blackface. And he said in the past that he had gone as Michael Jackson for Halloween. Certainly looks like a, like an early stage Michael Jackson when he's in the Jackson 5 era. Blackface to me. Northam first says, oh, I wasn't the one in blackface. Now, there's another person in the photo who's in a KKK hood. So it's like, okay, well, if you weren't the guy in blackface, were you in the KKK hood? And he goes, oh, no, no, I'm not either of those people. So then why is the picture in the yearbook next to your profile, dude? Why is your nickname Coon Man if you're not in either of these, these pictures? Clearly a liar. So he's tap dancing all around. Now, of course, people are saying, oh, oh shit, we got to throw him under the bus. So they're throwing him under the bus, uh, you know, Kamala Harris or Kamala Harris, Cory Booker and all these other people. The Democrats can't distance themselves enough from him. They want him to resign so that they can nip this in the bud. But at this point, doesn't look like he's going to resign. And I still don't think he will resign. I think he's going to stay in there and I'm going to laugh my ass off when he does. But anyway, as this news breaks that Northam was in this, this black face back in medical school, CNN runs the story, and what do you think they put next to his name? Do they put Democratic Virginia governor? Of course not. They put Republican. Now, some people might say, well, that's a simple error. They do that all the time. But number one, it doesn't really happen all the time. Number two, everybody knows for a fact that he's a Democratic governor. He just was talking about this abortion bill, which maybe this is, you know, this whole scandal was to pull attention off of this abortion bill that was you know, getting so much pushback. And, and there's all sorts of funny memes out there too. You know, government, uh, governor, uh, kill a lot of babies, AKA coon man poses, you know, that kind of stuff. But CNN running this thing, I, I don't think it's a mistake. I think they most definitely ran this, this story with the Republican moniker attached because they wanted to make sure that, oops, we made a mistake. But meanwhile, we're reinforcing that Republicans are racist, never a Democrat. Meanwhile, Democrats by far have the most racist policies at of any political party that's ever existed. Policies, you know, I'm just, I'm in the midst of trying to do a little bit less of a social media interaction. I'm trying to, to lower my screen time. And as such, I've been reading and I'm reading, you know, uh, white liberals and black rednecks right now by Thomas Sowell. And it's a, it's a brilliant book, but he goes into, as I've said many times, and as we know, because it's been proven time and time again, he goes into how Democrats have, have pushed these policies that are destroying black America, how the how black America was doing just, just smashingly integrating with white communities. No problem until you have, you know, mass migrations of people from the South. When you have governments get involved with these welfare programs, we have uh, the war on drugs comes in, breaking up the families, keeping people in these, these black ghetto uh, areas because of these public housing that they created, where they're just taking away these certain housing areas. They're, they're breaking up communities and making it specifically white side, black side. The government did this, and specifically, liberal government did this, or democratic government, I should say, is responsible for all of these different programs. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. 
So circling back around, uh, old Coon Man in there is still standing strong. I want to see what's going to happen with this. And I've been working with the, I, I may have a song, which I'm not going to get to uh, today, but we may come back with a little bit of a, a Coon Man shindig in maybe next episode. I have to see. I'm going out of town, so I have to see what my time frame looks like. But if it's not on this show, I think I will, if, if nothing else, be able to debut some sort of Coon Man ode to Ralph Northam on uh, the new program that I teased at the top of the show. Of course, that is the uh, Legion of Liberty Doom, which is just tearing up the charts, man. People love it. So there's that. And then uh, (laughs) the other thing that I got to talk about is also in Virginia, uh, we've got the Lieutenant Governor, Justin Fairfax, over in Virginia. So not only do we have the Governor of Virginia, but now we have the Lieutenant Governor saying that he is completely denying these allegations of sexual abuse that look, I mean, far more believable, far more credible than anything that was thrown out during the Kavanaugh hearings from Blasey Ford. And in the meantime, we've got these serious allegations. You've got actual criminal filings with the uh, police department. You've got a woman willing to testify, telling her story, uh, giving all this evidence. And in the meantime, all the news organizations are just kind of glancing over it because they don't want to report on it, right? Including the Washington Post. The Washington Post! That went out of its goddamn mind trying to report everything about Kavanaugh, despite the fact that none of it could be corroborated, that there was zero evidence for any of it. But no, they they are not going to report on Justin Fairfax and the sexual assault claim. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. So well, it's exciting to see what's going to happen. Is uh, is Northam going to step down? Because then this guy, then this sexual alleged sexual abuser, is going to step up. But I guess at least he's black, right? And then as long as he's a black guy, the liberal media, they can't say anything. What are they going to do? It's just going to be like heads explode. It's like a paradox to the liberal media. It's like we were joking about, talking about abortion. You know, we're talking about on our, uh, we did a pride slash Patreon only libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor show. And one of the things that came up and we were laughing about is, you know, you've got this abortion laws coming out that make it legal, quote unquote, to murder babies and murder children later and later and later. Well, at some point, you're going to have a kid that's transgender and you're going to keep extending this abortion rates where it's going to be like a five-year-old transgender uh, baby that's aborted. Then what are you going to do, liberals? You got protected class versus protected class. You got women's rights versus transgender rights. What you gonna do? <laughs> That's just, ah, damn, the world we live in. The world we freaking live in, man. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's check back in on the State of the Union. I don't have anything really other to add on this. I just want to weigh in quickly because it's too top of mind. Let's dive into some State of the Union and uh, get some thoughts on what was long awaited, long delayed by Nancy Pelosi playing politics and then Trump one-upping her in the funniest way possible by grounding their plane that was about to take off with all the people on it. But now we've finally gotten to give the State of the Union. And, of course, there can't be any State of the Union without people trotting out folks to stand in the background like the Parkland shooting kids. And for some reason, all these lawmakers on the left are wearing white I, to say they're in solidarity with women's rights, I, I don't. I, I still don't understand this. I mean, I don't know what Trump's done to women's rights. 
Uh, it doesn't look like anything to me. I, I, I just, I don't understand it. Is it Title IX? Because Trump put a woman in charge as the Secretary of Education named Betsy DeVos. And Betsy DeVos is the one that has pushed to fight against these Title IX. Because uh, it was the, the Title IX Obama letter that was sent out basically telling people that they needed zero proof of evidence in any uh, sexual allegations that were taking place on campus. And finally... Someone has decided that no, you can't just you can't just do that. You can't make up your own rules and just boot all these people out because a woman dares to say that somebody sexually assaulted her and then doesn't have to back it up, doesn't have to be questioned. The man has no right to defend himself. They decide which evidence can and can't be presented to the uh, to the adjudicators in these issues. So, I, I is that what they're upset about? I giving people actually a a fair chance to defend themselves in these circumstances? It just makes no sense. To me, it just seems like a fucking, you know, hey, look at the birdie to my left to distract people from the main issues of the day, which seems to be the only thing Democrats can do anymore. Throwing out absurd concepts like the New Green Deal, which would bankrupt America immediately, or trying to make some some issue out of women's rights that has nothing to do with anything that Trump's done. Ah, anyway, let's get into it. All right. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, I could not watch this entire thing. It just was too damn long. But I got in a solid hour and a half of watching, and I do got some thoughts here. So I'm just going to kind of go through it. I have not had time to really compose, edit this down, etc., because I'm doing this in real time. Basically, just stop watching, coming in here, open up my notes, and I've emailed myself when I was sitting on my uh, ass on the couch, and I'm just going to run through them and uh, and shoot the shit. I have a little something I'm going to do just because I had to. But otherwise, I'm going to try to do this as quickly as I can. Otherwise, this podcast is going to be like two hours long. And uh, and I ain't no two-thirds of a Joe Rogan. Without any more delay, Brian McWilliams, the host of Electric Liberty Land. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you all. Thank you. Now then, I just... <clears throat> that was just to clear my throat. I had a little bit of uh, a little bit of shit stuck in my throat, guys. Just, can we... Thank you. Can we please stop the clapping? Can we stop the goddamn clapping? Just... Thank you. That was about seven hours of the State of the Union tonight. Just by the way, every time the clapping. Can we put, can we, can we it's like baseball. You have a moratorium on meetings the umpire can take with the pitcher. You have a timer. They need to have a timer for clapping. No more clapping between every goddamn statement. Drives me nuts. And also that if you, if you didn't watch the State of the Union at the very beginning, and I don't know, they, I, I guess they always do this, but this little guy who looked like, if you watched uh, Polar Express ever, he looked like one of the creepy elves in Polar Express, comes out and he's like, Madam Speaker, the President of the United States! And it just, he looked so tiny. He's like this little white bald guy. And he's just screaming. I guess he was Secret Service. I don't, I don't know. It was ridiculous. And then Chuck came out. Oh, it was funny. Anyway, in a nutshell, despite not having seen the very end of this, I will say this was the most entertaining State of the Union I've ever seen. And I will also say that Trump absolutely dominated it. I mean, I definitely don't agree with a lot of what he said, but 
I mean, as far as the optics of it, as far as just the way he played the Democrats like a fiddle, and uh, I'll talk about some specific instances later because they were really funny. But uh, man, I tell you, he really killed it. It was like Trump, 1 million Democrats, minus 400,000. And uh, I'll give the libertarians half a point. We got half a point there because there were some, there are definitely some things to like in the speech. However, there was still a lot to, uh, to, to have issue with. So kicking it off, uh, you know, Trump starts it off as, as many people do, just paying homage, homage to uh, the unified message. He's saying that his agenda is the American people's agenda, which I mean, I guess, you know, 53% of the electorate uh, voted for him. But he talks about lowering healthcare costs, foreign policy that puts American interests first, yada, yada. Kind of the same old thing, just kind of getting into it. Now, one of the first things he did was he really stuck it to Nancy Pelosi over trying to get petty victories for the Democrats rather than solving issues. And this is what I'm talking about. This whole thing was very specifically worded and phrased to make, to make a point out of how obstructionist the Democrats have been being, especially during the government shutdown. So he talks about working on compromise. Uh, reminding people that Democrats are the ones that have turned down efforts to find a middle ground, that they just wouldn't budge. They refuse to do anything unless they all funding for the wall was removed. And again, I don't want funding for the wall, but it was interesting to see Trump play that up uh, and really kind of jab a fork into her. Um, oh, one thing again, I'm, by the way, run, I'm just going to run through my notes again. So don't expect this to have any real flow to it. Uh, Buzz Aldrin was there. And one can expect that he was there as some sort of trade-off for keeping the secrets about the alien base under the Arctic a secret, or possibly the pyramid that's really on the moon, or was it Mars? I can't remember. I don't know. Uh, anyway, moving on. Trump talks about revitalizing the middle class like every single president always does. He talks about the boom, the economic boom that, quote-unquote, we created of 5.3 million jobs. Meanwhile, as we all know, government creates absolutely nothing. Government does not create jobs, doesn't, does not create technology, doesn't create anything other than to take money from others with which to enrich certain industries which they may choose or to allocate those funds. Like If you're talking about creating jobs, well, you're creating jobs by stealing from other people. So really, you are creating absolutely nothing. But I digress. So Trump emphasizes the lowest unemployment in decades, lowest minority unemployment in decades, and... Alstock then you know, might kind of goes off into the Obamacare end of the individual mandate, which got some uh, some collapse, but also some booze, of course, from the Democrats, uh, and also touted the right to try pharma, which you know it's one of those things where I remember talking about at the time, but from a libertarian perspective, that really is a pretty emphatic win. Talking about ending this tax, you know, this unconstitutional tax, which was deemed constitutional, one of the most ridiculous rulings I've ever seen in my fucking life. But getting rid of that so that people aren't forced at the point of a gun or uh, <laughs> forced to go to jail or buy health care, getting rid of that, that was pretty impressive. Can't take that away from Trump. Also, the right to try for pharma. I mean, you're talking about people that are dying of diseases that were not permitted to try experimental drugs, even though they, A, might be able to have their lives saved by it, and B, we're basically dead anyway. I mean, talk about just common sense legislation. This is what, you know, Democrats love to throw around common sense reforms. This was a common sense reform. So good on it, Trump. Trump also talked about cutting regulations more than any other uh, president during their entire tenure. He says that in the three years he's been in office, more regulations have been cut. That may be true. It probably very well is true. I mean, there were so many just 
extraneous regulations. <laughs> Wait, extraneous regulations? They're all extraneous regulations, but there were just an unbelievable amount of regulations that when they first got in there, it was so easy for Trump to slash it, tell everybody in their department, slash and burn, get rid of all these old, and, and some of them are just, you know, these things have just been on the books for 50 years. They mean nothing. They're not even really applied anymore. So it was very easy for him to do that at the beginning of his tenure. However, as many multiple or multiple media outlets have reported on, this has slowed down quite a bit as it's gone along. You know, they started off at a fever pace, but now as it gets into the actual nitty gritty regulations, they have slowed to a crawl. Doesn't take anything away from getting rid of the initial ones, but still, it's not like he's still going through. It's not like people are still removing uh, obstacles for business at this feverish pace any longer. Trump also talks about number one producer of oil and gas in the natural world being the United States and how we are a net exporter of energy. Now, that is powerful. I mean, let's be honest, especially considering the fact that so often we got into these wars, you know, the Middle East, we were always saying this is blood for oil, that we had to we had to be there, we had to have a presence in the Middle East because we had to make sure that the United States wouldn't be deprived of its oil oil uh, pipelines. You know, same thing with Latin America. How do we have to keep, you know, keep our relationship with Venezuela song because of all the oil that they're going to be providing us? Or we had to make sure that China couldn't have all the oil from them, you know, because they're the big threat. But now, the United States doesn't have to worry about anything. The only fear the United States has in regards to these oil or natural gas is progressives trying to put the New Deal green, the New Deal green, the New Green Deal into place, trying to wean us off of fossil fuels well before we are economically ready or those technologies are viable to be put into mass production. And then what'll happen? We end up like Germany paying something like four to five times the amount of electricity costs or the amount of power costs because the government has forced the economy to adopt it before it's ready. Having untold impact on families that now have seen their, their bills every month raised from something like, I don't know, pulling this out of my ass. But what, let's say they were 25 euro. Now you're paying 100 euro every month for your electricity bill. I mean, that's just sheer madness. Now, the other thing, though, is like I was saying with foreign policy, touting that we have all these oil reserves from fracking, from you know, shale, from natural gas, etc., that would be even more impressive if we had a foreign policy that made sense now. Because since we don't have to rely on foreign oil, shouldn't we be pulling our asses out of the Middle East even further? And Trump does address this later in his, in his speech, by the way. Not tying into what I'm talking about, but tying into the overall initiatives that the United States have been taking in the Middle East and how we need to avoid that. All right, moving forward, he does talk about the military next. The military is the most powerful on Earth by far. And of course... Cue massive clapping from everybody in the room after that. Everybody stands up and flaws military industrial bullshit, man. And he had added some, some soldiers from World War II, of course, painting that as uh, the great battle versus the evil and how we, the United States had to be involved in it and how we helped win it, helped end that threat. But everybody loves military industrial bullshit. And, you know, so often you have people sitting down you know, the Democrats stay seated for the majority of the time. The Republicans jump up hooting like idiot apes every time anything's said and clapping nonstop. Ah, oh, so annoying. But this was one point where they all were together. Uh, Trump also talked about big jobs being added. And, you know, again, you, you don't necessarily give Trump credit because it is 
the industry creating the jobs. Government's just getting the fuck out of the way. So thank you for getting out of the way and allowing job growth to, to increase Trump. But this is where, you know, I'm talking about these people sitting. This is where these jackasses look so foolish and petty. This is where optics come into play. And, you know, it became even more apparent because, like I said, all these Democrats showed up wearing all white to support women's issues. And that becomes very funny because, uh, well, I'll get into it in due time. But you've got all these Democrats wearing white. So it's very easy to see who's who's Democrat, who's sitting the entire time. And when Trump's talking about adding jobs, which is good for everybody. I mean, if you are in government, shouldn't you be happy when a single person gets a job, let alone millions of people get jobs at the lowest unemployment rate when all the black Americans, all the minority Americans are getting jobs? Yeah, you'd think you'd be happy about that. But no, they pan around. All the Democrats are sitting on their hands. Just pathetic. Oh, this was absolutely hilarious too. So Trump later on was talking about uh, sex traffickers. This is in the context of the wall, you know, because Trump's harping on, we need to build this wall because of sex trafficking. Meanwhile, sex trafficking is like an an infinitesimal uh, issue in regards to the border. But talking about sex trafficking, he's saying, we've jailed a lot of sex traffickers and people are clapping. And you see uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in her white talking to these two old Democratic biddies. And she's like, huh? What? They have to discuss. They don't even know if, they sh- if they're allowed to stand to oppose sex trafficking. And they're allowed to applaud jailing sex traffickers. And finally, like three or four of them stand up. But it was just the look of, of confusion, the look of loss on her face, just having no clue what to do in the moment was absolutely perfect. Uh, this one I, I absolutely loved. So moving on. Trump's still talking about this economic miracle, right, that he calls it, <laughs> which it, no miracle if you're a fan of, of Austrian economics, but economic miracle to these uh, Keynesians, I guess, saying the only thing that can stop it are foolish wars, politics, or partisan investigations. Pow, pow. <laughs> so I love that, though. The only thing that can stop it are foolish wars. Exactly. We're spending trillions of dollars a year on these ridiculous wars on foreign interventionism being the police of the world. End it. Reinvest that cash locally. Well, you know, well, don't tax people to continue it, but I'm saying, but while you've got this Pentagon budget of X trillion, if you're ending these wars, put that into, uh, I don't even know, local tax-free zones. How about that? How about eat those tax-free, eat those taxes, push them forward to the next year, tax-free zones, help everybody's businesses grow. How about that concept? And then, of course, had to give a jab in about the partisan investigations, which is pretty funny. And then this gem, which you are going to love this. He, I, I swear to God, Trump must have been watching the O.J. Simpson trial recently because uh, he pulled a little bit. He pulled a little bit of O.J.'s defense lawyer out here. If there is going to be peace and legislation, there cannot be war and investigation. If the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. <laughs> awesome. Uh, gotta love it. I, like I said, this, this state of the union was very, very entertaining and sorry for the audio quality of that. I'm just, I'm just recording that from my TV. All right, moving forward. He highlights criminal justice reform gains with the first step back that again, awesome. Still that more, uh, more needs to be done in regards to social justice reform. But the fact that we have a president actually addressing it, who's actually done something is pretty amazing. 
it's too bad that they didn't cut to Kamala Harris, who, of course, is a uh, a warrior against anything criminal justice reform and loves going after, you know, people that have children that aren't uh, going to school regularly and tossing them in jail. What a classy broad. But it's too bad they didn't cut to her during that. But he brought in a, a woman named Alice Johnson, who he committed, uh, not committed, uh, commuted her sentence. She was in jail for nonviolent drug offenses for like 35 years. And uh She's there sitting. She's crying in the audience because Trump's allowed her to have her freedom back. And, you know, the craziest thing about it was uh, she was black and a woman. So I guess Trump doesn't hate all the blacks and the women. Hmm. Go figure, because, you know, you never know it from the media coverage that goes around. Uh, Then he goes into some border talk. Nothing really new there. He did not declare a state of emergency, as some suspect that he might do during the State of the Union. Just kind of the same old thing. Uh, One slightly entertaining troll point for Trump was that he rolled out a a Hispanic ICE agent who was a child of two legal immigrants. I'm blanking on where they were from. uh, Costa Rica, possibly. But kid of legal immigrants who now is an ICE agent, and he said he was one of the people helping to fight against these sex traffickers. That was, I believe, when they cut to uh, to AOC. Uh, He's talking about jailing him. And then, epic troll. This is, I mean, I swear to God, it's, it's almost worth recording it and watching it yourselves if you, if you have the chance. But this is epically trolling. So you've got all these women in right because they, they're supposedly fighting for women's rights against Trump, despite the fact that Trump's done nothing against women. And he says right there in the speech, staring at him, that of all the new jobs last year, 58% were filled by women. And all of these chicks are sitting in the crowd, all these women wearing white, literally sit there, stunned. They're looking at each other like deer in headlights. Like, there's literally like a look of panic on them. They're like, what do we do? It's like, paradox, circuits, my... Well, it's like, what is that? Uh, Gray man, you know, the the non-playing characters. This was the best non-playing character NPC moment I have ever seen occur in real life. They had no idea what to do. They're looking around. There are sparks flying out of their ears as they try to figure out how to fix the short circuit in their brain. And eventually, all these women in white end up standing up and cheering and dancing and high-fiving, right? (laughs) Trump kills them in this moment. And he points out, as they're cheering and clapping, he goes, you weren't supposed to do that. And then he starts laughing. Talk about just trolling the shit out of people live at the State of the Union. It was hilarious. Ah, amazing. All right, then he goes on to talk about this idiotic lose-lose trade war with China. Trump still, despite all economic evidence to the contrary, thinks tariffs are a good thing. He says that he's so happy the Treasury is getting billions of dollars from these tariffs. All right, well, that's great, Trump. The, the Treasury is really filling up its coffers, huh? Despite the fact that we still have a massive deficit, but... How about Americans paying higher prices for every goddamn product that's involved here? Because the steel industry is hurting because the steel is coming from not China, but our own backyard, which costs far more. Don't have enough of it to go around. So cars cost more. Anything involving the steel industry costs more. Textiles are costing more. This is not helping everyday Americans. This is helping a small cadre of people that happen to work in very specific industries that you're helping at the expense of every other fucking American. Plus, Despite these tariffs, the trade deficit grew last quarter. It went up. So they're not doing anything. And then he announces he has a new bill called the Reciprocal Trade Act, 
that would basically go eye for eye on tariffs. So anybody that jacks up the price of a product, the United States jacks up the price on their product incoming to the same degree. So he wants to basically put in a bill to automate fucking Americans over by virtue of eliminating free market trade and eliminating our ability to get cheaper products made better somewhere else. Just awful. Uh, on healthcare, Trump said drug prices dropped the most in 46 years. I have no idea if that is true or not. Uh, I know he's been talking to, uh, to try to lower farm rates. I know that one of the things that he did, which I liked, was that he eliminated this. There was some sort of bizarre government-mandated gag rule where pharmacists couldn't tell you about other cheaper drugs when you went to the pharmacy. Uh, something crazy. So he got rid of that. That's nice. And he did call out. How one of the re- one of the ways we need to move forward healthcare and make it cheaper in the country is to have transparency within insurance and with hospital bills. Uh, he didn't say anything specific on that front, but I like that he's calling it out. So it'll be interesting to see if he does address that because any number of the podcasts that Mark has done talking to doctors who either have direct to patient care or talking about the cartels, the cartelization of the uh, healthcare industry, that always comes up. Transparency is key. People have no idea what they're paying at any time. And it really becomes apparent where you're getting screwed over once you can have that transparency here. Uh, let's see. Oh, he also brought out some adorable little former cancer riddled scamp. A little girl named Grace. She was cute. Dog and pony show, people. Bread and circuses. Uh, let's see. Next up, talked about school choice. Championing that. Love it. Nationally, or naturally, the union cronious Democrats weren't fans of that. <laughs> kept very silent. They showed Betsy DeVos, of course, a woman who Trump put in that office. And then Trump talked about wanting paid family leave, to which I say, fuck that. I mean, I would call that, you know, they call it paid family leave, but really what they should call it is a single people taxation act. Because that's what it is. If you don't have children, you see no benefit from this. Your, your business takes a hit. Uh, people are going to be taxed more to pay for this paid family leave. So yeah kiss my ass. You want to have a kid. You take on the onus of having that kid negotiate it with your boss. Government shouldn't get involved. Period. Trump then went into, uh, somewhat surprisingly went into the abortion law, the hideous abortion law, which I talked about earlier in this very podcast in New York city, not New York city, New York state. Uh, the camera probably was focused on Chuck Schumer during that, which I chuckled at. And he also talked about the failed Virginia attempt, which again, I mentioned earlier in the podcast. Trump then said he wants to prohibit late-term abortions of children who can feel pain in the womb and make that into federal law. Now, I'm pretty torn on that. Um, I, I, while I, God, I mean, I, at my very core, I oppose any federal law that would limit what people can and can't do with their own bodies. But at the same time, if we're talking about late-term abortions, I made my feelings clear on that. Uh, late-term abortion is killing a person. And if the government's job is to protect the life and the liberty of its citizens, then this should be something that should pass. Uh, it's hard. It's it's hard for me to find a, a way around that. And um, I'd like to hear anybody try to make a good argument around that. To be perfectly honest, I mean, at some point, that is it's just pure murder. And uh, again, you know, that's where government steps in. While I am a little worried about the roles of children that might end up in foster care, which I said is also a abomination that the government runs with the horrible outcomes for almost all these foster kids, but still rather have a, uh, a foster kid than uh, a murdered baby. So there you have it. Hard to oppose. Uh, moving on. Trump. Then this is very odd. Trump talked about kids. 
because he was talking about this, you know, babies, you know, so it says every baby is a child made in the holy image of God. And it's like, okay, uh, okay, guy. So were you banging a grown-up, big-titted, holy image of God all those times in Trump Tower? And, you know, in the penthouse there with Stormy Daniels is like, <laughs> she just a, a big old hookery God image that you're plowing all these times behind your wife's back. I mean, it's like, give me a break. Don't pretend to be religious now. Don't try to don't try to to kowtow to the religious right by uh, by talking about babies being images of God. Which, by the way, if that's true, God's ugly as fuck and it's annoying as fuck too. But just I just thought it was too pandering that he pulls this this horse shit out. He also pandered a lot, and you know, he's talking later on. He's talking about the Holocaust, which fine, Holocaust was atrocious, but what the hell does it have to do with the State of the Union? Nothing. Nothing. It's nothing to do with the State of the Union. You know, they had these people. He had a, a Holocaust survivor in there that was 81 years old. And all these idiots. The, the entire house is singing happy birthday to this guy during the State of the Union. These are the morons that are that are running our country. Singing happy birthday during the State of the Union. It's pandering. Horseshit. Awful. That was actually where I ended up. I have a couple more things uh, before this, though. He talked about withdrawing from the uh, INF treaty with Russia, which I uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if it fucking matters, to be honest. I think that either way, these countries are probably making stuff in secret. Uh, he's, he promised to outspend and out-innovate any other country when it comes to nuclear arms. So that was disappointing to hear. North Korea, nothing really new there except for a date for the next meeting. But he did point out the fact that if another woman had won the presidency, that we would be at, at war with North Korea, which I wholeheartedly believe. Without a doubt, Hillary Clinton would be uh, dropping bombs. In regards to Venezuela, Juan Guaido, or uh, Guaido, Guaido, supporting him as real president of Venezuela, Trump reinforced that statement. Almost everybody in the chamber stood up, except for one person that I took note of. And of course, that was AOC, who stayed seated because she's a piece of shit socialist of the worst kind. Trump slammed calls for new socialism, stating we were born free and will stay free. Tonight, we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country. To that, I said, huzzah! And I clapped. Me, at my home, I clapped. Clapped in front of my dogs. Talked about the Middle East a little bit. Talked about fighting in Afghanistan over 19 years. Of course, he neglected to mention that we've been over there for 50 years and that the CIA has been an ever-present force in Afghanistan, in the Middle East, and everywhere else, and citing quite a bit of overturn, regime change, and uh, destabilizing regions and causing terrorist attacks on our home turf. But anyway, I guess there wasn't enough time in a two-hour goddamn speech to go into that. Talked about the $7 trillion we spent on wars and then stated great nations do not fight endless wars. Good job, Trump. Also talked about and, uh, negotiating an end to Afghanistan occupation. And uh, Chuck Todd, I noticed this idiotic tweet. Chuck Todd goes, interesting that the president says that uh, he's negotiating with other parties in the Middle East and Afghanistan. But then, you know, declined. He, he waited a minute and then slipped in that it was the Taliban. Why is that interesting, Chuck Todd? Of course it's the Taliban. The Taliban is the other faction. I mean, there's a couple other maybe minor warlords, but who the fuck else is he supposed to negotiate, you goddamn partisan idiot? The Taliban. Just unbelievable. 
Uh, and then he and Trump just again to uh, to pander a bit to the GOP and to the troops. He says our troops fought with endless valor to enable the end to that conflict. <laughs> Walk in the line, Trumpster. Uh, he then said that it is time for peace in the Middle East and that he was working towards that end. And for the first time all night, the I'd say the majority of uh, the GOP did not stand and applaud, showing you where their mindset is. Trump did Trump. Uh, he trumped it up on Iran. He says they're a radical regime. They are radical. They do bad, bad things. <laughs> it's like I do a bad Trump impression, but that's the exact quote. And he talks up the sanctions against Iran, which are now the highest ever. Of course, you and I know as libertarians that sanctions are in fact an act of war. They disproportionately impact the people of Iran. And frankly, if the people of Iran haven't stood up and overthrown their government yet, they're not going to. Uh, simply turning them into enemies of the United States even more so by making everything more expensive and making the lives harder is not going to endear anybody to our way of thinking. And that's about it. That's where I, I had to sum it up, guys. Like I said, I, I, I wish I had been able to see the end and actually see the wrap-up of it. But you know, by the time I'm done recording this long-ass podcast, it's going to be about uh, 9 o'clock my time, and I still have to edit this bad boy. Get it all posted up for you. So that's it. Highly entertaining State of the Union. Hope my recap was somewhat enlightening. Uh, enlightening? <laughs> enlightening and illuminating. I just made up a new word, guys. You're welcome. So hope it was enlightening to you and, uh, and entertaining in some way. But uh, yeah, man, if you have the chance, I really <laughs> just watch. Just if only maybe somebody will make up a smash clip of Trump trolling the uh, the Democratic women in the, in the crowd because <laughs> it really was very funny. Say, Take what you will away from Trump's presidency, but it is nothing if not entertaining. Okay, that's going to do it for the show. Uh, so, reminder, listen to Mark Clare on Mondays with his in-depth interviews with leaders of the libertarian movement. John Odie Odermatt on Felony Fridays looking at the criminal justice systems and issues within that system with his heart-wrenching and very, very telling interviews with people that have gone through the system or people that are trying to help them in the system. And uh, if you, in case you missed the announcement, we are now going to be doing some of our most popular programs, our Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor shows. We're now going to incorporate one of those in each of our shows every month. So they've proven popular. We're, we'll see if they stay popular once we start doing them more. But that means Electric Liberty Land will be hosting an LALDL once a month, as will Felony Friday, as will Mark's trademark show, the Alliance of Liberty podcast. So tune in for that. Lots of fun, lots of enjoyment. And uh, and yeah, don't forget to join the Pride so you can hear the new Legion of Liberty Doom podcast that I've teamed up with some of my favorite podcasters to do. All right, that's it, guys. Peace out from me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land. Always stay plugged in to liberty.